16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has The power of a story. Uh, my boy, he's really into soccer, but when he puts on his Cristiano Ronaldo jersey, just something kicks in and he just plays at another level. Uh, he scored his first goal uh, this season and uh, in his mind, he was also thinking, what would Cristiano Ronaldo do? It's the power of a story. And, and I've experienced before, say, watching, say, the NBA Finals, and you look back to when the Raptors won. Right after that, it's like, I want to play basketball, <laughs> right? It's the power of a story that sort of draws you in and makes you want to be a part of something or act a certain way because you see yourself in that story. Uh, just another example, my daughter, she's not naturally the most, um, or she doesn't naturally like uh, athletics and so forth, but she watched swimming uh, this summer at the Olympics and seeing female swimmers do well, especially Canadian swimmers, then all of a sudden it's like, Dad, I want to swim. It's the power of story. Now, this past week, there were some pretty intense headlines, but I think they also demonstrate the power of story. Uh, we saw headlines of book burning in, in the past few years in Canada. Now, I'm not starting off the sermon, and the sermon is not going to be about uh, the morals of book burning, but I wanna get, what I want to get at is the power of story and, and to ask, what is the driving force behind something like book burning? In history, when you see uh, this act of book burning, what is it that can compel someone to cross the line to gather thousands of books and want to burn it. And I want to suggest that you boil it down and it comes down to the power of story. With respect to book burning specifically, it's when a certain culture wants to eradicate or, or just redo a certain part of its history, a part of its story. And it wants to replace that narrative, that story with another story. And so we need to think about where, where does story fit into uh, our human experience and why is it so powerful? And I want us to connect story to culture. Culture, just looking on the surface, just starting off simply, it's about a common people, is it not? Uh, whether it's the same ethnicity, you enjoy the same foods or same hobbies, whatever subset of, of people, they have something in common, and so there's a common people and there's a culture there. But if you take the time to break it down, you'll see they are a common people because they have a common story. Now, that common story that they all gather around, it produces certainly common truths, just common ways to look out onto life, and to make sense of life. And for sure, from those truths, naturally, you have common morals things that you deem right and wrong and help you make decisions. And so that naturally leads to common practices. Now, what I want you to really pick up in this intro is that culture then really is a part, a big part of it is a common story, a common story. And that makes complete sense because being a people and being a part of a people longing to belong, what binds us together, what brings us together and makes us feel belong is that 
you understand my story. And so you look at all the movements, the justice movements, the social movements that are going on just even in our day and time, there's definitely a common story there. And people find belonging, and they feel that longing for belonging through that common story. Last week, uh, I put up this picture of, of the fruit tree and uh, just to try to explain and, and try to understand where our stories and our desires come from. And I hope you'll see with me that it really does. Our stories don't come out of nowhere. They, they come out of our culture. If culture is, is the ground, is the soil, and our lives are the tree, then our stories are really what produces certain desires. If I, I see myself as my boy did, Cristiano Ronaldo, then you have certain desires, and it moves you to certain will and action, even untapping certain ability and so forth. And so our stories, our desires, they come from our culture. Now, in verse 17, the disciples, they see the resurrected Jesus. And what is their response to this living Jesus? They worshipped him. And worship, uh, as we saw last week, is all about desire. It, worship Whatever you desire most, it elicits worship. It draws out worship and delight and awakens your affections and your emotions and your gladness. And so Jesus became their deepest delight, their desire, and they worshiped. And so here we see a new culture forming. And so to uh, apply it to this whole notion of, well, in the view of a gospel then, our vision at Trinity Grace Church is that we want to see God's grace overflow into first a new culture, to lay down the groundwork, the foundation, the soil where everything draws its life from. That's the new culture. And this new culture is meant to produce a new story for every one of us. Certainly I've experienced that in my own life when uh, I had certain hurts or whatnot or from childhood and so forth. When I met Jesus, when he awoke his gospel story and my identity as a son in Christ and beloved by the Father, that, that gave me a completely new story. And the gospel then, and, and what grace does, what God's grace does, it produces new desires. Now, to put it another way then, just with uh, the language that we use at, at here at Trinity Grace Church, we, we long to see grace overflow into a new culture that produces a new community. And a new community is really about the new story, right? Because a common people have a common story. And then, especially next Sunday, join us for next Sunday. Here's a, a teaser for next Sunday. And love for you all to come back next Sunday. As a new community, we're meant to build Christ's new city. Okay, and that's the fruit of the gospel. So just to summarize it, Christ's new culture, it produces a new community. So on that point, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. That's an oxymoron. That is the, the antithesis of what it means to follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus and you believe and accept everything he's taught, then we're meant to be a part of his new community and doing life in the church. 
And so the Christ's new culture produces a new community who have now for us a common gospel story, common gospel truths, common gospel morals, and of course, common gospel practices. But again, what I really want you to, to hang on for the rest of the sermon is this notion that as a new community, we have a new story. We have a new story. We're meant to live our lives every day with a new narrative, a new story that is given to us by Christ. Okay, so I hope you find yourself longing to belong and to embrace Christ's vision, to see Christ's vision for a new community. So my hope and prayer for all of us, myself included, that as we work through this, by the end of our time together in the passage, that there might be something stirring in your heart by faith along these lines. Lord, I want my narrative, I want my story to be your eternal gospel story. Because that's another test for uh, the strength of a narrative to get you through life. How long will it last? How long and how well will it carry you through all, especially the darkest times, and keep you grounded through the good times? And Jesus' gospel story is the one eternal story that lasts beyond the grave in this world. So I want to ask for the rest of our time together, as Jesus' followers, uh, what is our common story? I want you to have a clear picture of the story that is meant to be yours that you are first meant to be a daughter and son in Christ as you walk out, even though you might be a a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a director, a worker, a whatever level of society and role in society might play before all those things, you are first seeing yourself as a son or daughter in Christ in our new gospel story. So what is our common story? The first thing I want you to see with me from the text then is uh, we have a common authority, a common authority. Now, authority, I want you to see that it's very much related to story, okay? And we see this very easily in the English language, uh, for starters. You think of the word authority, and right built into the word is the word author, okay? And that makes complete sense if you just take a time to think about it. Who has authority over what is written or a story? It's the author. If you want to know how a story is actually supposed to end or the meaning of the story or characters and so forth, you've asked the author. And that's why Peter, the apostle, he says in Acts chapter 3, you killed, speaking of Jesus and preaching to the Jews, you killed the author of life. Jesus, he says today that all authority has been given to him, and what that means is that he is the author of life. And so Jesus saying, he comes to them, they've worshipped, they saw him, some doubted, and now he comes closer to them, and he says with authority, about his authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this word authority in the original language, it has a few layers of meaning. Uh, and so the, the first uh, meaning is the power of choice, a liberty of doing as one pleases. So it could very much mean individual authority. And of course, especially living in the West, we, we prize our individual authority. Don't tell me what to do, right? 
I'm my own boss. I make my choices. The power of choice, liberty of doing as one pleases. Uh, it could also mean then physical and mental power. You have authority if you can execute what you want to do. And of course, we also have the common understanding, just as in the original language, the power of rule or government uh, to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. The pandemic has certainly brought that to the fore, that aspect of authority. But also written into uh, just a layer of meaning in this word is, is the power to write law, the power to write law. Now, we can very much appreciate this in Canada right now because we're in the thick of uh, elections, and elections are coming up. And just on a quick side note, I encourage every one of us to think uh, deeply, to, to uh, think sincerely and research and, and go and vote. But this past week, uh, there were the debates, the English language debates, and, and so we see uh, at least five people here vying for authority. They want to be the leader, to have the power, to uh, enforce obedience, to make rules, to write law, to have the mental and physical power to execute, to have authority. And so when Jesus says here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he's speaking to all those levels. But one notion that I want us, that at least in my experience, uh, just talking whether it's Christian or non-Christian friends, that isn't always on the fore, is to understand that following Jesus is also about hoping for one day that Jesus will actually inaugurate and consummate a final, good, eternal government. His government, not on this earth, in the new creation, but that's a Christian's hope. And so I want to I word it concretely that way, that part of our Christian hope is looking forward to finally that there will be one king or, or whatever terms you want to use, president, prime minister, just one absolute final leader who is good and actually sets up a good government for the rest of eternity and his people doing life under him as he meant to be, with sin and disease and all of that eradicated. That's one very important aspect of it. And the church is supposed to be moving toward that, living into that, and, and wrestling with what does that look like for the church to be a preview of that, to hope for that. Now, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, then part of it right in there, though, certainly is the notion that he's the author. Because all authority in heaven and on earth being given to Christ, it means that he has final say of what is right and wrong as well. He has all authorship of God's final law and requirements uh, and, and what passes before God. So when Jesus says then more specifically, all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus is speaking to the fact that he has authority, I think in at least two ways. First, he has authority uh, over domains, and he has authority 
in a timeline, okay? We need to believe our Christian hope is that Jesus, he has authority over all of life. And what all of life means is even broken life, even as you look out and there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of good, but there's also a lot that breaks your heart, that frustrates you, that really just uh, awakens that justice bone in you and you wanna see wrongs righted. Jesus has authority over all of broken life. Especially in these times of pandemic, a great hope for me has been, despite what's going on, Jesus has authority over disease. And Jesus has authority ultimately from the root of disease. What what causes disease? Disease disease is just a symptom. Disease is a symptom of sin. And Jesus has authority over disease and death that are all just symptoms of sin, the consequences of sin, the wages of sin. My hope is that Jesus will defeat that once and for all on that final day. And so that's where the whole notion of timeline comes in where I sometimes um, find myself in tension, uh, like the psalmist, because the Christian, our hope, we, we have this amazing blessing right in front of us. We believe that Jesus is king of all and, and that he has domain over everything from governments to every sector, sector of society to disease and death, but we don't see it fully actualized yet, right? We don't see it fully applied and and we still see brokenness out there. But what gives me hope, what I have to be reminded of is that there's a timeline to Jesus's authority as well. That he's patiently working through history and there'll come a point, that final point, when he exacts it, when he executes all of that and it'll be once and for all perfectly consummated. But don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. I want you to be reminded today that Jesus has all authority over broken life, death, and eternal life. Next sort of big idea that I want you to see with me then is that our common story is not only about a common authority looking to Jesus for that authority, that he is the authority, he's the author, and therefore meaning the authority of the story of our lives, but I want you to see also with me a common grace. Where do we see this? Now, this is why it's good sometimes uh, as you read scripture for yourself. It's good to just go through it slowly, almost like have a mental comb in your mind and just comb through the words. Because as we move along, it's easy to quickly read through this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth. And I want you to notice, has been given has been given. Just right off the bat, there's this notion that Jesus, you could ask uh, with warrant, what, did Jesus not have this authority then before? And so there's this notion that he was given this authority, that Jesus is given this authority. Now, I, I want you to, uh, what we're going to really draw out here is, is the has been given part. If he's been given his authority, where did it come from in the first place? And so uh, today is overcast. I think it's still overcast outside. But as you think, as you look up into the gray clouds, 
True or false? Is the sun still shining? True, right? Even at night, even in the darkest night, is the sun still shining? Yes, it's just on the other side of of this big ball called earth. And we can't see it per se, but it is burning brilliantly there. And what I want you to, to catch there is that something truth is truth. It's there, whether we see it or not. Whether we acknowledge it or not, truth is truth, and it's always there. Okay? And so thinking of that, and thinking of this sun that is shining even if we can't see it and and this notion that Christ's authority has been given to him the point is this first that Jesus reigns over you and me whether we acknowledge it or not Jesus reigns and and even all the brokenness of life he reigns even though you might have questions of doubt and frustration He reigns. He reigns. He's still shining. And what we have to understand is that this grace that has been given from the Father, it's this notion that God gives. That God gives. And so I want to connect that to this this notion of common grace. Common grace that God gives and, and Jesus is reigning no matter whether we recognize it or not. Now, common grace, to define it, uh, it's the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. When you look out on life, and I hope you can, and you have, and you regularly do, whether you're a Christian or not, count all your blessings. Count all your blessings. And what common grace means for the Christian, and I hope as if you're not a believer yet today, that you'll think through this, that God, whether we recognize him or not, acknowledge him or not, he is shining and he is giving. And all the blessings in your life, if you're humble enough to kind of work backwards, say, well, why do I have this security? Why do I have this roof over my head? Why do I have these friends? Why do I have this job? Why do I have this ability to have gotten this job? Why did I have the ability to study? Why, did, why was I born in this city with certain uh, opportunities uh, afforded to me and so forth? And you go backward on and on and on, and hopefully we're all humble enough to realize it wasn't from me. It came from somewhere apart from me, outside of me. And ultimately that you'd conclude there's a good God. A good God, despite the brokenness of life, he pours out, he continues to give, and he reigns, no matter whether I recognize it or not, that he gives all these good things. The grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not necessarily part of being saved. I love how Wayne Grudem puts it, really clear thinker, Christian thinker, and says, but in fact, Adam and Eve, once they fell, they didn't die at once, though the deserved sentence was death. 
And though the sentence of death began to be worked out in their lives on the day they sinned, the full execution of the sentence of death was delayed for many years. Moreover, millions of their descendants, even to this day, they don't die and go to hell as soon as they sin, but continue to live for many years, enjoy countless blessings in this world. How can this be? How can God continue to give blessings to sinners who deserve only death, not only to those who will ultimately be saved, but also to millions who will never be saved, whose sins will never be forgiven? And the answer is God's common grace. This authority to Christ has been given, and he's reigning, and it speaks to his common grace. So think of it this way. Hopefully, these circles will help. Circles help me sometimes, so hopefully they'll help you. Um, if you think of this big circle, the big circle, and it's the biggest possible circle, this represents God's authority. And he's given this authority to his son, Jesus. And under God's authority, he pours out his common grace. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we see it or not, and call it that or not. And then within God's common grace, as we live life and are searching, as we come across Christians, the church, the gospel, the Bible, and now we're faced with this decision, did Jesus really rise from the dead or not in history? Because if he did, that changes everything. And so within the smallest circle then here is is saving grace, where God actually moves you on to acknowledging that he has authority over everything. And all this goodness, despite the brokenness of life, is from him and he sustains me and I don't receive what I deserve. And then we discover, wow, but I'm still in need of forgiveness, of reconciliation. And so now I get the very specific message of Jesus, that he's come so that we can be saved, so that we can be reconciled. And that's why I want you to see with me, finally, an uncommon grace. An uncommon grace. A grace that many people in the world and history refuse, reject, for whatever reason, or they don't understand but this uncommon grace, and we see it in this last part, again, just combing through these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to Jesus. And he's the one person in history that all this authority, that the Father has been pleased to bestow all authority and to give reign over all history, all time, every domain in, in society, every sector of society, every person, every soul, he's delighted to give this authority to specifically Jesus. Now, uh, Jesus' disciples at the time who were well-versed in the Old Testament, they would now be connecting the dots and they would understand, even from things that Jesus said before his crucifixion, his three years of ministry, that they realize he's the one. He's the Messiah, the, the Son of Man, as the Bible puts it, as, as Daniel and other prophets 
Uh, that was the, the name, kind of like in the Matrix, Neo, right? The, the one. He's the chosen one. Similarly, Jesus being the one that the Scripture's all looking forward to. For example, Daniel chapter 7, And there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, meaning God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, right? This is authority. This is especially that, that layer of authority that's government and rule. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The apostle Paul puts it in his own way. I'll just skip down to the highlighted part here. God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Sounds similar to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus is the one that all authority on earth and heaven has been given to him. Now, why is this so important for you and me? Why is that so important? And what does that mean for you and me? What's the invitation? We go back to where the story began, all the way back to Adam and Eve and creation. And just as authority goes, God, everything was good. He created, there was no sin. Adam and Eve were perfectly in bliss. They were glad in God and in their marriage, their life, their work. There was no brokenness. And what were they tempted with? Satan, he is brilliant, and he knows the power of story. He offered them a different story. If you take this fruit, you can have a different story. If you take this fruit and disobey, then you can be like God yourself. It was the power of story. And Eve, what she saw was that it was beautiful. And she wanted to see herself in that story. And Adam followed along, and, and he ultimately was responsible. He ultimately was making that choice as representative, as, as lead. And so the, when we think of our own desire for authority and, and just our relationship with authority in our lives, I'll be the first to admit, I want to write my own story. I want to be able to say, you know, this is what I want in life. These are my desires. I want to define myself and, and, and find worth in ways that I'd like to on my own terms. And there's something in every one of us from the very moment Adam and Eve fell. The story that, that was seething was, I am God. I'm going to do life the way I want. I am my own authority. What does Jesus do? Even though he has every right to claim all authority from God. I mean, it was given to him eventually. But he had every right to claim it. He was entitled to it because he was the son of God. What he does instead, he lays it all down. See, the, the, the power of the gospel, basically you boil it down, is that 
Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. Jesus substitutes us. And where we are wanting to write our own stories, to be our own authors, what Jesus does, even though he had every right to write his own story, he submits to the Father's story. And the Father's story was one of going all the way back to Adam and Eve falling. I love them so much. And everyone to come after them, I love them so much. I want to find a way to bring them back into my good eternal story of being in my love and reconciled for eternity, not having to spend eternity apart from me under my wrath. And the only way that's going to happen is Jesus taking our place. And so instead of him rightfully taking what was his, he could have done what Adam and Eve wanted to do, to become his own God. But instead, he submits to the Father. He submits to the Father. He submits to the Father's story that requires him to be a suffering servant. And God sees him as if it's us. Jesus takes the punishment as if it's us. Our rebellion, our longing to be authors of our own life. And the Father accepts that. And so when it says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus, and going back to Daniel, what the Father then does, in the Father resurrecting Jesus, essentially he's raised Jesus to his right hand. And the Father giving all authority to Jesus, saying, this is my son that I vindicate now, and he has been faithful to my story, and so now I'm going to bless him to have the greatest story for all eternity, to be the king of all kings. And so for you and me, our joy, our hope, is that we can still be a part of that story. See, the Jesus follower is committed to upholding First, the person of the greatest story, the Word, the Bible. And the person of the Bible, the Word made flesh, those printed pages, if you still have a a paper Bible or even all the words on your smartphone app, the Bible, all those words, they point to a person, the person of the Word. And the Jesus follower is also committed to upholding not only that person, but the printed Word. All those words, they become our guiding story. They become the story from where we get our truths, our morals, our practices. So looking to Jesus, his word, him being the word and his word, the scriptures, as our authority, as our author, as our story, as our narrative. So in ending, let let me ask, When's the last time you thought about these questions? Who or what is your authority? Bottom line, just every day as you go through your everyday and making decisions, how you see yourself, how you see the people in your life, how you see the world, who or what is your authority? This is a very important question to answer regularly. And what is your story, your narrative? And who is the author? Of your story. These are all questions asking the same thing, just in slightly different ways. 
But even as the pandemic continues, it's been almost, uh, how, how long has it been? I've even lost count of time, track of time. But certainly the pandemic has, has done a number on our story, our narrative. And do we find ourselves continuing to be anchored in this one important story, all important story? Now, practical ways to live this out. Um, September, as we kick off a new ministry year, uh, it's a time to just reinvite everyone to belong. One way to concretely be a part of the gospel story is to be a part of that common people with that common gospel story. Meaning, sign up. Sign up for a new community. Sign up for a new community group that meets during the week and be a part of that smaller gospel circle, but also be a part of this larger gathering on Sundays. And so belong. Belong in Christ's new community. And come back next week as we really go deep into what it means to be a blessing and to build Christ's new city. That's a a very wonderful way and real way to find yourself really concretely engaged in God's story, to be a part of building Christ's new city. And come back next Sunday uh, to just understand what that means and what that looks like as we finish up Matthew. So the prayer, Lord, I want my narrative to be your eternal gospel story.